All right, y'all, what is up? Welcome back to Teen Talks. I'm your host, Trey Vela. We are teens on a mission. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I have my youth pastor. This is Pastor Austin Miner. So glad to have him with me today. He's going to be sharing his testimony today, guys. It's an amazing testimony. I've heard kind of off and on versions of it, but I know from what I've heard, it's a really good testimony. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so like you said, my name is Austin. Um, I'm the youth pastor at Christ Life Church in Newton, North Carolina. Um, been there for five years now um, and love every second of it. If you're looking for a home church in the Newton area, Conover, Catawba County, it's a great place to be. We'd love to have you come join us, uh, especially for all you teens listening for our youth ministry on Wednesdays at 630. Uh, we have a lot of fun together um, and we're growing together, man. So oh, yeah. uh, we'd love to have you. So. Um, a little bit about me, um, before, you know, I just get real personal and tell you my entire story. Um, the, uh, uh, I recently had my firstborn son, Asaf, um, and he was born on August 12th. So we, uh, it, it's what, September uh, 23rd. 23rd. So he's about six weeks, five, six weeks, uh, and loving every second of it. Um, I've wanted to be a dad for a long time, which really is part of my story. And, um, you know, uh, it, just anybody who's watching today or listening today, listen, God cares about what your heart cares about. Like, yeah. you know, on one hand, we should be more concerned with his will and his ways and his kingdom, but God cares about the things in your heart that honor him. And he wants those things to come to light and into fruition as well. So, um, loving being dad, um, and the new role there, uh, I'm, I've married to my Canadian wife, Tanisha. Uh, we've been married for four years and, um, she has been here, uh, my biggest support, my biggest fan, but also my biggest partner. Uh, and, uh, we have, we have a fun life together. We love it. Um, and yeah, live in Catawba County, beautiful place, love Hickory, uh, and where we're from, uh, and love Trey and what his, his heart and what he's doing, uh, with the youth ministry. But specifically, you know, our heart is really for young people, man. We believe, yeah. uh, we believe that God has a specific assignment for the, your generation, Gen yeah. Z, uh, and we believe that God is going to do incredible and special things within Gen Z. I believe God's rising up prophets. He's rising up. Uh, pastors, he's rising up evangelists, he's rising up apostles, uh, and and he's sending them out. Uh, and I believe that you guys have the chance to be one of the most impactful generations ever. I mean, literally, you guys, even through just stuff like podcasts, have an ability to get stuff out into the world like we've never had before. So um, that's a little bit about me. Um, but my story, um, you know, really most of my story developed when I was a teenager, like many of you maybe who are watching. You're saying, okay, I'm watching and I kind of want to grow in my relationship with Jesus, but trying to figure out how and really like I am a, a, an example of that teenager is like, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want to honor God, but like, I don't really know what that means. And, you know, I don't really know how to do it. And so I, I, what I am today is someone who tries to help people know how to do it because that's what I didn't really have. And, um, until really my older high school years where I had a youth pastors who really put their arms around me. And, um, so, uh, you know, it started really when I was young growing up, uh, my parents, uh, they got married 
when my dad was 17 and my mom was 19. Okay. Now, like even just trying to picture that, like I just had, like I said, I just had my first kid. I'm 27. Okay. So like (laughs) 10 years before that, my dad's having his, his first son, uh, my brother JJ and literally he was at my dad's high school graduation. Like they, um, but when they found out they were pregnant, they said, you know what, we're going to make things right. We're going to try and honor God. And, and so they got married, um, and kind of dad went into the military, began to provide for the family. And, and, uh, that was his identity. He said, you know, that, that as a man, I am to provide for my family. That was his, his main goal, his main purpose and uh, in his head. Right. And, so, um, dad was, had a, a good dad, had a good mom, grew up in a healthy family, um, for the most part. Uh, and we went to church. That was what we did, but it was little more than a religious activity for us. We would go, we would put on our mask and then the struggles and the sin issues and the, the fighting between my parents and things like that was something we didn't talk about. We didn't think about. It was just kind of part of the background. And, um, we didn't see like, it's, it's amazing how the enemy wants to try and separate your daily life from religious activity. Like he wants, he wants you to think about like, yeah, church, that thing I do on Sunday. And he wants you not even to relate any of that to your Mm -hmm. daily life with Jesus. And so for us, it was totally disconnected. We didn't really think a ton Uh, about that. Um, And so growing up, naturally, mom and dad getting married so young, um, there were some marital issues and things that were kind of going on within the family. So my dad, long story short, especially throughout my teenager years, um, he had had quite a few affairs on my mom, was unfaithful to my mom. Uh, My mom uh, was unfaithful to my dad. Uh, They would fight my dad Um, he never laid a hand on us as kids, uh, but he did abuse my mom a a couple of times. I had seen my mom with a broken nose. I had seen my mom with a broken wrist. I, I had seen, uh, walking through the house and seeing holes in walls and, and stuff broken everywhere, um, because they would fight all the time. And, uh, somewhere around my teenage years, uh, I kind of connected the dots that if I walked around with them as they fought, my dad wouldn't lay a hand on my mom. So I began to walk around and I would listen to them fight. I would listen to them yell at each other. I'd hear the names they were calling each other. I'd hear the accusations against one another. And the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the hurt and the anger and the all of that. Um, and so I grew up in that environment. Uh, and maybe you're watching today and like you're like man i can relate to to an environment that feels hostile that feels like there's just tension in the home um and the reality is that that you you know you when you're a teenager in that home you begin to kind of try to walk on eggshells you try and find your identity and what your role is and um you know sometimes parents just have to work some things out in conflict and and so uh, I, as I would walk around because I knew that he wouldn't lay a hand on my mom. And, and if I was there and, um, one day, uh, it, one day it got so exhausting that, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, man, I just got to get out of the house. I can't be around this all the time. And so had friends who would pick me up and we'd go hang out and we'd just try and distract from the issues at home. Right. And, 
one day I came home from trying to distract myself to see my dad literally choking my mom. Um, and who knows, had I not walked in that moment and pulled my dad off of her, what story we're telling today. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the place of darkness that my family was in the, the bondage, the anger. And if you talk to my dad today about it, he'll, he like, he won't even remember some of this because he was just so angry. It was like, he blacked out. It was like he, he wasn't him. Right. And, um, so that was the story of me growing up as a teenager. So what did that do for me? Okay. So that's going on with my parents. What did that do for me? Well, that made me almost want to try and find and show them what love was, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I knew what they were dealing with and doing wasn't love. And I kind of hear at church about how Christ is love, but I don't see it in action in, in my family at home. I don't see it in action, you know, in, in the people that I knew I grew up. Um, and, and even the churches we attended were very, very religious. It was very much about a Sunday activity. Um, and it wasn't necessarily about sanctification. It wasn't necessarily yeah. about having a relationship with Jesus. It mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily about uh, allowing God to transform you and change you. And, and so, you know, naturally I thought, okay, I've got to show them what love is, not understanding that God is love and yeah. that he's the greatest example of this. And so I uh, was saved at a young age. I was, and, and I believe that was a genuine salvation for me. I wanted to serve God. I wanted to live for God. But I had these strongholds in my mind that, to- that were lying to me that, uh, of what my value was in, what my identity was in. So for me, it meant that I jumped from relationship to relationship. And I was trying so desperately to find love, which like, if you think about it, think of how crazy this is. You got a 12 year old, a 13, 14, 15 year old, 16 year old, so desperate to find love, bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship and trying to show adults what love is. Like, I mean, it, like, it's crazy. Yeah. I was obsessed about it. Yeah. Like literally I was obsessed with finding the one, right? We, we, we use that term all the time. I was obsessed with finding, quote, the one, okay? Now, like, think about how wild it is that you have a teenager that that's their greatest focus in life, right? Because at the end of the day, we understand as we follow Jesus that God wants you in his will more than you want you in his will. Exactly, okay? yeah. So, so if, if I want to be in God's will, if that's the desire of my heart, God wants you there more than you want you there. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you're right. following Jesus and pursuing him with everything you have, you're going to end up in his will. Yep. If you're pursuing a thing, an identity, love, if you're pursuing acceptance, if you're pursuing these things, you're, you're not going to find it and you're not going to end up in God's will because the primary thing is supposed to be Jesus. And so for me, um, I was pursuing love. I was trying to show my parents what love was. Uh, and at the same time, in, my, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I don't want to be what my dad is, right? Yeah. And I think many people fall into this trap of focusing on what they don't want to be more than focusing on what they want to be. Exactly, yeah. They focus on, I don't want to be like my dad's past. I don't want to be 
like this person, some, you know, whoever it is in your life. I don't want to be like this person, this person, this person. And, but here's the thing. If over here is who you don't want to be and over here is who you want to be, but you're consistently focused on what you don't want to be, your eyes are always on what you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how hard you try, your focus is on what you don't want to be rather than what you want to be. If you're focused on, I want to be a person of God. I want to be a person who prays. I want to be a person who gives Christ love. I want to be a person who honors God with their life. If that's who you want to be, that should be your focus, not what you don't want to be. And some of you, you may be having a struggle in your life. You may be struggling with uh, stuff like pornography or lust. You might be struggling with identity issues. You might be struggling with, with sin issues in your life. You might be struggling with anything, X, Y, Z, unforgiveness, right? That's a huge one that I think many of us have to learn how to battle with. And if, if all you're doing is focusing on the sin, on the problem, on the issue, on the thing you don't want to do, right? Like let's, let's say the issue is, is, uh, lust and pornography. Okay. If you're like, I, I'm not going to look at that. 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 What are you focused on? You're yeah, focused yeah. on the thing you don't want to look at yeah. versus what scripture says, taking the thought captive, making it submit to Christ. So I'm yeah. focused on what does scripture say? Thinking about the things that the spirit pleases, or in other words, what is pure, lovely, righteous, good, pure, right? Those are the things that we want to think on. So I was so lost in trying to find love that I was slowly becoming the unfaithful person that I saw my parents be. I was literally so desperate to find love that I'd be in one relationship, not want to break their heart, right? Not want to admit what was wrong internally about the relationship and about me. So I'd just go jump in another relationship and never even communicate. And I'm sitting there cheating on somebody. Yeah. And, and my heart is, oh, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to have that conversation. So non-confrontational. Why? Because all I ever saw was confrontation. So I was convinced that confrontation wasn't love. I mean, right? So it's, it's amazing. Guys, the enemy will always take your experience and twist it to yeah. try and make you live less than the full life that God has for you. God's word says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to give life and life more abundantly. If you look at your life and you say, I don't know that I have life and life more abundantly, I feel like the enemy has been stealing, killing, or destroying my joy, my life, my peace, my patience, my my whatever, then, then you need to ask yourself, okay, do I have a stronghold in my mind? Am I believing a lie from the enemy? Am I allowing the enemy to hold me in some type of bondage simply by the way I think and allowing God to renew your mind? So I, uh, so somewhere towards 16, 17 years old, uh, we go to Christ Alive for the first time. The, the church that I pastor at now is actually where I went as a teenager. We start going there. Oh, let me add this. We had went to counseling for mom and dad. We'd went to family counseling. We'd went to marriage counseling. We'd done all the things that everybody says to do to get better, except for follow Jesus. 
Mm, yeah. Guys, listen, uh, maybe you struggle with addiction and you're thinking about, let me go to this program. Let me go to this thing. You, maybe you, str- whatever you're struggling with, you might have the practical answer. You might have the right program, the right book, the, the right, right theology, right the, the right self-help book, right? You might mm. have the right message you've listened to. You might have the right information. None of it matters if you don't have Jesus centered at it all. Yeah. If you're not surrendered to Jesus, that's the key. That's the key. So for those of you who say, you know, I, I, gosh, I know so many people who are bound in different types of addiction, people who I know are, are bound in, in drug addiction and things. And the, what I tell them is this, a program is not going to fix you. Jesus will. Jesus is the only one that can break yeah. those chains. And you need Jesus. A program might help. It might, it might help for a time. But there's chains that need to be broken. There's things that are broken in us that only Christ can fill that hole in our heart. Yeah. And we have to invite him in to do it, to heal it. There, The woman with the issue of blood, okay? We find this in the New Testament. Jesus is walking. There's people all around him, pushing up against him. There's a woman, it says that she paid all of her money to go to all these special doctors to figure out what the issue is. Nobody could figure it out. Nobody could do it because of this issue. She was ostracized. She was she was someone who was considered um, uh, unclean, unworthy. Don't have anything to do with her. And she sees Jesus, and she knows if I could just touch the hem of his robe, if I could just be a part of something there that's powerful. Like I know there's something there. So she goes out of her way. She grabs the hem of his robe. She's instantly healed, and. The amazing part about this is not only was she healed, but Jesus knows, okay, healing just left me. And he stops, he takes the time, he turns around, and he addresses the woman. And he, sa- he says to publicly, so that everyone else can hear, you've been healed today. You've been healed. You've been cleansed. Go, right? Be healed, right? So not only did he heal her, but he restored her identity to other people. Mm-hmm. He, he said, this person is no longer unclean to be cast out, but can be accepted yeah. and, and can be cleansed. And so um, I don't even know how I got on that tangent, right? But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is the answer to everything that you're fighting and battling with. And so my parents, um, we had literally gone to counseling and we'd had pastors okay pastors well-meaning pastors people who are great pastors but they said your dad will never change your dad will never change i'll never forget what my mom said when we left that counseling session she said he doesn't believe in the same god that i do Mm. it doesn't matter how big the issue is The question is, how big do you believe God is? Do you believe that God is bigger than it? And and she said, he doesn't believe in the same God that I do. So we continued searching. We continued trying to find. And one day, dad left. They were separated for, I think, the fourth time, fifth time, something like that. And mom said, you know what? We're doing things differently this time. We're going to sit down and we're going to pray for your dad. And she brought up this scripture that we actually see. I believe it's in Matthew 18. It says, we're two more gathered in prayer. I am there among them. She said, here we are, me and my two brothers 
and my mom said, we're going to pray. And I remember thinking, well, we've done that before. What difference is that going to make? I remember thinking so negatively on it. But I look back at that moment, and that was the moment that everything changed for us. Mm. When we, I, I don't even know that I had a mustard seed faith. But some, my mom did. Someone in my family did. And that mustard seed moved a mountain. My dad comes back home a couple months later. We do this every day, praying for him every morning. Comes home one day and says, we're going to try this new church. Really random. It's like, okay. So we go try Christ Alive. And it was the very first Sunday that we were there. I think it was Easter 2011. We go try uh, Christ Alive for the first time. Uh, and I remember they had this special on on heaven and hell. Um, there, there's a great uh, evangelist out there who has, I believe it's called 23 Minutes in Hell by Bill Weiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he talks about his experience uh, where he had a dream and he, he literally went to hell in the dream. And so he experiences that, that line up biblically with what hell would be like. And then there was another man who I believe it was uh, 30 minutes in heaven maybe. Um, and I, I can't remember his name, uh, but he actually physically died in a car accident, went to heaven. God basically was like, nope, not your time. Sent him back to, <laughs> to earth and um, woke up in the hospital. Uh, and then he began to tell his story about uh, seeing heaven and what it was like. And, um, and I remember from that message, my parents came out and something was just different. It wasn't an overnight change, but you can tell they it came into contact with something they'd never come into contact with before. Yeah. And my dad describes it as the first time that he ever encountered the presence of God. Now think about how dangerous this is. We attended church every Sunday, my entire life. At this point, I'm 16. And that was the first time my dad ever encountered the presence of God. If the presence of God is not in our churches, where can the world find it? Yeah. Where can those who, who need Christ find it? Yeah. We've got to be open in our churches to hosting the presence of God, to hosting the power of the Holy Spirit. Sermons and songs and messages and and Bible studies and everything, they're all great. They're all good. They're all a part of God's kingdom. But if it's absent of the presence of God, what are we doing? You're right. Other than yeah. having church. Yeah, because the church can't get you to heaven. The Bible can't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can. Yeah, absolutely. And so the reality is we have to have Jesus in our in our sermons, in our songs, in our, in our worship services. We have to have mm-hmm. the power of, the, of God, the presence of God there. And from that point on, they, they got involved with counseling, family counseling at the church. They got involved uh, trying to, to work on their marriage and work on their personal relationship with Jesus. All of a sudden, it became not about a religion, but relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, things began to shift and change. Then one day, my dad's at the altar. I remember um, we'd been going to the church for a while. My dad was at the altar, and it felt like a switch just flipped in his mind and he got up from that altar a different man i can't tell you how and does god always do it in an instant moment no 
But God delivered my father from lust, from pornography, from uh, he was addicted to smoking, from abuse, from anger, from trauma, from all of these things in his past, in his life, in his heart. And God set him free. And that moment changed the trajectory of our lives. Yeah. I was so insecure and convinced that I was only valuable if I had a girl around my arm because that was what I saw. I was convinced that my value was tied up in who I was dating and, and if I had good relationship and if people loved me and if I could please people and, and, and all this stuff. But everything began to change the day that my father's life got turned around. You know, there's stats out there that show that if the if the kid if a kid in a family is the first to give their life to Jesus that 3% of the time the other family members get saved that if a f- mother is the first one to get saved that like 30% of the time the family gets saved but if a father is the first to get saved in a family 80% of the time the family gets saved why is that? Because they're the head of the home. Yeah. They are the spiritual leaders who are supposed to lead and guide their families. And they are to lead the way. That was when things changed for my family and I. My parents, from that point on, they began to help counsel marriages. They still do today. My dad's never laid another hand on my mom. They, When they fight, they learned to fight fair, right? Because there's, really, there's always going to be conflict. Right. There's always going to be fights and things we disagree about, but they learned how to fight fair, how to talk things out, how to resolve conflict and not just leave this gaping hole of disagreement. Right. Yeah. And and so um, they learned these things. And now my dad is the type of person you would not believe if you met him today. The story that I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe it because of who he is today, the way that he loves Jesus, the way that he serves people the way that he loves my mom sacrificially like like Jesus and giving up his life for the bride the church right and yeah. and so uh, i completely changed everything so for me it took more time because i saw this happening in my dad but i thought you know what he's had good streaks before he's had moments where they've worked things out before is this real right but the thing is that i could tell almost immediately this was different like there was something different about this time it wasn't in his own strength it was in christ's strength that he was overcoming these things and so um i don't remember having to go through a moment of forgiveness with my dad because it was so evident and real the change that forgiveness came easy right now, yeah. for some of you, that might not be the story. Forgiveness may be something you're hanging on to and you're struggling with. And, and listen, Christ says that I can, like, I can only forgive you if you'll forgive others. This is what he yeah. calls us to do. And I just want to encourage you, listen, release that person, forgive that person. It's not worth holding on to. It's not worth the bondage it can create in your own life. It's not worth, I mean, it's, it's literally like telling somebody, to, to, uh, to go die and drinking poison yourself. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to forgive that person. You've got to release the anger, the frustration, even if it's just for you. But forgiveness is a huge deal. So my parents were able to forgive one another. So for me, 
you know, I'm 16. I don't, I don't think like a full adult yet. Right. And, uh, and you know, your brain's still developing until you're about 25 years old. Right. And I am with my, uh, I, I remember when all this happened, I'm like, well, maybe I should just settle down with the person I'm in a relationship with now. Right. Like, you know, that way, you know, th- things are made right. Right. And I'm yeah. trying to honor God with my life. I really am. Like things have shifted for me in that area. I want to honor him with everything that I do and kind of settled down with this girl in a relationship. Well, I'm under the impression this girl's a Christian. I'm under the impression that this person um, loves Jesus and all those things until I start trying to invite her to church and she doesn't want to come, but then it still didn't click for me and, and how I wanted to have this person to be involved with my uh, beliefs, but I didn't see any action towards it. And scripture says, don't be unequally yoked, right? I wish I would have seen this, understood it and learned it. Yo- a yoke is literally a gardener tool that they would put on two different cows, okay, or cattle, donkeys, whatever. They'd put it on there, and it would go around their neck, and as they would push together, they're yoked together. If they stayed with each other, they create a straight line in the garden, and you can plant what you need to plant, and it tills the ground for you. What he means by unequally yoked is if I've got a donkey here and a massive cow, strong cow here. Okay, so let's put it in context. A non-believer, someone who doesn't necessarily know Jesus yet, who's immature as a, as a believer and in the spirit, and someone who loves Jesus with their whole heart, super strong, right? They're going to go faster than this person, stronger than this person. And now the lines are getting all swerved and curved and off and wrong. And you have to have straight lines when you're gardening. So, and and then all of a sudden you're pulling the weight of the person who's behind you. And this isn't what God has called us to. In fact, he said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. In other words, I don't put a crazy burden on you to carry that person. You've got to be equally yoked, going in the same direction. If I'm yoked to someone and I'm trying to go this way and they're trying to go this way, all that's happening is no progress is being made. Mm. They've got to be trying to go the same direction as you. And that's why God calls you to be with someone in a romantic relationship that loves Jesus the way that you do. Now, Don't take that and say, mom, dad, the youth pastor just said I can get in a relationship as long as they love Jesus. Okay, here's the deal. There's different different qualities to loving Jesus. And the reality is that most of you aren't prepared for a relationship. And that's okay. That's okay. I wish someone would have told me when I'm dating all these girls that the one will come if I just follow Jesus. Matthew 6 says, or maybe it's Matthew 8, says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God, everything else in your life, you don't have to worry about it, he'll take care of it. He's, he's going to handle it. So, um, off that tangent, um, anyway, the uh, this person um, didn't have any fruit in their life following Jesus. And um, I didn't realize that I continued in a relationship with them for a long time, even though in my heart of hearts, I knew I should have ended it, but I knew it was going to cost me some friendships. We had the same friendship circle, right? I knew that it was going to cost me, uh, a lot of, um, grief. Uh, and, and so I was a coward and I didn't do it. 
Uh, I didn't sacrifice what I knew God was asking me to sacrifice. And it ended up taking me down a road um, of, of having sex outside of marriage, of not living a pure life the way that I wanted to. Uh, and um, I wish I wouldn't have compromised there. But it was that moment. I remember the moment that I got caught <laughs> and the moment I got in trouble. And here's the deal, guys. The enemy may let you get away with sin for a while, but he will pull the trap door when it's going to make the most damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pray that God will shine a light in every dark area, in every dark corner of your life. Because if you'll deal with them now, it will cause less damage. So I remember uh, as we're trying to figure these things out, um, one thing, a comment that was made by the girl that I was dating at the time. And she said, what's the big deal? If I were to got pregnant, we just would have had an abortion. And I was like, whoa. Mm. And all of a sudden, it became real to me. I don't even know who this person is. I, yeah. I mean, I thought that they were a Christian. But do I really know who they are? Like, I, I was so caught up in my lust that I would have called love that I didn't really know who this person was. And so finally I have the courage to, to end that relationship right before I go to college. And when I did that, uh, it cost me my friendships. It cost me, I had like one friend left, right? Cause you know how it goes. Sides get chosen, all that other Mm -hmm. stuff. Oh yeah. And, and I remember I had like one friend left and we were going after Jesus together, but you know what? It was, it was a lonely season in my life, but it was one of the best seasons of my life. Because I learned about all-out commitment to Jesus. Yeah. And it changed everything for me. Um, so uh, I f- later got called uh, – later on when it came to college, coming into the, towards the end of my senior year, I'm like, okay. See, my story is is God consistently adjusting me and having my back all the time. And that's about the faithfulness of God. If you will be sold out for God, you will never be in debt to God. God is always going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. Now, does that mean it's the way I always want it to be? No, right? But it means that I'm always going after his best. And so I applied for one college, one college, and this particular college was not highly esteemed for education or anything like that. Y'all, in high school, I was the – I was – in band, I was the band president. I was the student body president. I played football, wrestling, and baseball. I was uh, I was well known. I was connected to a lot of people. But you know how it is when you're connected to a lot of people, but you don't really have any strong friends. So that's why I said yeah. I had like one yeah. real friend, right? And so I had all this stuff going on in my life, and and I applied for one college. I had like straight A's in high school. Okay. I had a decent SAT score. I mean, at least I think I was, it was decent. Like, you know, and, and I should have been a shoe in for this college. I come home one day after a trip and I'm on the, I'm on the waiting list for the school. Meanwhile, my friends are texting me or or people I'm connected to are texting me and they're like, Hey, you know, I got accepted to this college. I got, I got accepted. I got accepted. And I'm like, what on earth? 
I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to compare myself. I'm not trying to tear anybody down, but my grades are better than yours. My SAT score is better than yours. I'm more involved than you are. Right? What is going on? And I remember praying and saying to God, Lord, I thought this college is where you wanted me to go. And I remember God being like, you didn't even ask me. And I was like, oh, okay. It's amazing how we can convince ourselves something is God that he's not involved in at all. You know, if you're trying to work towards something and you feel like, man, God's, God's, yeah, God wants me in this relationship. God wants me to go to this place. God wants me to, to do this with my life. God, but it feels like you're constantly, you know what I mean? Like trying to bend something into place, trying to make something fit. You know, you're taking a, a square and you're trying to put it in the round whole okay like god's typically not in that now does that mean we don't face resistance on things god calls us to do absolutely not okay we're gonna face resistance the enemy doesn't want us to be all that god has called us to be but typically we don't have to ah, fight something into place if god's in it he opens the door he makes a way and So I remember praying, like, God, I thought, I thought this is what you want me to do. He's like, you didn't ask me. It's like, okay. I said, well, Lord, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. You're going to have to tell me what you want me to do. Okay. I go upstairs after praying this, there was a porch or a porch. There was a package on the back porch that I didn't see. It was a nomination box to the school that I would go to, uh, which was called Atlanta Leadership College. And I thought, okay, or at the time it was called Master's Commission Atlanta. So I look at it and I'm like, okay. And I, I was like, that's interesting, kind of interesting timing. I was like, all right, God, I guess I'll go visit. I go visit. These people love Jesus with their whole heart. And I remember thinking, whatever they have, I want it. I want that fire. I want that heart. I want that passion. So I up and move my life to Atlanta for four years. I was like, I'm out of this small town. Here you go. And Another part of that story is I said, I'm never coming back here. I can't stand small town. I'm going for the big city of Atlanta, and now here I am, right? So never tell God never, right? Man, I um, can't stand Atlanta. Uh, I love Traffic is horrible. I, I loved the city, and I loved it for four years, but now I go there, and I'm like, how did I ever live here? Um, but <laughs> it drives me nuts. But I still still love to go catch an occasional Braves game. So um, go Braves, chop on, all right? Um, but uh, the I go to this school. This school's not not FAFSA accredited. I had to raise all my own money to go to go to this college. I didn't know how I was going to do it. The church was very involved. The church helped raise a lot of money for us. But long story short, I get about two weeks out, and I'm about I'm about eight hundred bucks short of what I need to be to go. Okay, and then I can make payments when I'm there. But I've got to have eight hundred bucks. Okay, don't know where it's going to come from. I feel like I've exhausted every option. I've sent support letters. I've done car washes. I've done the whole nine yards. Right. And I remember I took a job dog sitting for our pastor, Pastor Mark, okay? Dog sitting for them. <laughs> they're, they're on vacation. So I'm driving my car. I had a 2001 JXI Chrysler Sebring, okay? Convertible, okay? I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. The thing broke down every, every single month with a new thing, but um, it, it was, it was a, a piece of junk. But it was my first car, so you got to love it, right? And... Uh, I'm driving on my way out to their house to dog sit for them. 
and I hit, uh, there's like a little bump, like no big deal. I'm not talking about something big, like a little bump on as I'm getting onto I-40, and my axle breaks, the ball bearings mm. drop, one of my tires literally flies off, okay? And I'm like, what on earth just happened? And I'm sitting here, all I can see is dollar signs. All I can see is how much this is going to cost. I'm already $800 short. I was hoping to take my car to Atlanta. I don't know how this is going to work out. And guy comes to tow the truck. The first miracle, the guy tows the truck for free. Okay, listen, I don't know if you've ever had your car towed. It costs a lot of money, and those guys aren't just waking up in the middle of the night for nothing. Okay, they're, they're, they're making money. And complete miracle, he takes it to my mechanic. Call my mechanic. He says, hey, look. Uh, it's going to cost you, you know, this, uh, this number, but I'm not going to charge you any labor. So it's going to cost you about 800 bucks to get the car fixed. So now I'm in the hole $1,600. Okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. I go, I borrow my dad's car. We, I go to pastor Mark's that night uh, to stay there and dog sit. And I, I remember praying, God, you told me to go here. It was the same prayer. It was the same God. I, I thought this is where you wanted me to go. Right. But this time I got a much different answer. I didn't feel like I heard anything from God. I felt like, man, God, you're being real quiet. Like, what the heck, right? I wake up the next morning. I wake up the next morning and my dad calls me. He says, hey, two things. Number one, uh, somebody came over. We At the time, we had a jet ski. I'm not really sure why we had a jet ski. We never went on a jet ski. I think we bought it, planned on fixing it. Never happened, right? Whatever. Um. And, uh, he said, Hey, uh, somebody came out to look for the jet ski. Now this jet ski guys, maybe $200, like barely, barely running. Okay. Um, and so dad's trying to sell it. And, um, my, uh, the guy who shows up, he says, why are you trying to sell it? And he says, well, my son, he's trying to go to ministry school, um, follow God's call in his life, that type of thing. And uh, he says, really, well, I'm a retired minister. I'd love to invest in that. Uh, how much does he need? And he said, well, he's in desperate need of about, about 800 bucks to get his car fixed, right? Uh, and 800 bucks for the tuition. He's not even thinking about fixing the car right now. So he's like, 800 bucks. So he says, yeah, absolutely. Guy pays more than we were asking for. Pays 800 bucks mm. and takes the, takes the jet ski. So that's the, that's the first thing. Then dad says, I almost immediately go out to the mailbox and I get a letter from Master's Commission Atlanta that says um, someone anonymously donated $800. Wow. And overnight, God provided the $1,600 I needed to get my car fixed and to go. And from that moment on, I knew God is taking care of me. He wants me there. Like God That's is crazy. orchestrating these things. And I, I could never question it again. So my time in there, I got called into ministry. Uh, you know, God began to work on my heart and my character. I began to learn some of those things about my identity that I was believing were a lie. God began to break those things off and, um, and transform me and change me. Uh, come home to the place I said I'd never go. Uh, and uh, door was open there. Uh, became the youth pastor there. And ever since, I've been trying to just share the love of Jesus um, and, uh, you know, uh, my family still intact, still loves Jesus, still chasing after him, helping other marriages, 
Um, you know, now my family, it, uh, I found my wife at, at the school. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, like I said, if you'll just follow Jesus, you'll find the right person. You'll find the right time. You'll find all that stuff. Okay. Don't go searching for it. Search for Jesus. Um, and, and now here we are. So that is my story. And I just say to anybody who's watching here, listen, no matter what your story is, it's important to God. You might say, okay, like yeah. I've, I've followed Jesus my whole life. Okay. That's still an important story. In fact, I think it's encouraging to people to know that you can live a life that's pure and holy. Yeah. Right? You don't have to go through the ringer and go through hell and then come back. You don't right. have to do that. Right. Um, you can, uh, you can be trans. Like it doesn't have to be like, man, I was, uh, think about this for a second. Okay. I remember thinking when I was in high school, well, I'm not doing drugs and I'm not drinking like everybody else. So I'm a pretty good Christian. Guys, what a low standard. Mm-hmm. Like what a low standard that is to call yourself to. Well, I'm not doing this and this. And we compare ourselves to other people. Are you comparing yourself to the carnal and complacent? Or are you comparing yourself to Christ? That's the only mm, person you ever called to compare yourself yep. to. So, so don't compare yourself to someone who's complacent in their relationship with Jesus, who's lukewarm. Compare yourself to Jesus because God, Jesus isn't going to look at you one day and say, you know, you didn't do much, but you're better than that guy. So come on in. No, no, no. <laughs> He's going to say, were you a good and faithful servant? Right? Yeah. Like, were, did you follow my commandments? Did you have fruit of following me? And so I just want to encourage you, raise your standards to the standard of scripture. Of, of the things that God calls you to and, and asks you to do. Um, I believe in every one of you, those of you who are watching, those of you who are listening, you're listening because you say, I want to grow and I, I want to learn something about my relationship with Jesus and how to walk it well as a teenager. Scripture says, don't let them be ashamed of you because of your youth, but be an example of yeah. purity, of righteousness, of how to follow Jesus. Be an example to the people around you, even if it's adults, even if it's people who don't know Jesus. Be an example. Be on fire. Make a difference with your life um, and do something that you know matters following Jesus and serving his kingdom. Even if it's not in ministry, we don't need as many ministers as we have. We need more people in the marketplace. We need more people in business. We need more people who are doctors, who are lawyers, who are in medicine, whatever. The media that represent Jesus and and we uh, just go do what God has called you to do. I promise you yeah. the best place to be is in God's will. There's nothing better than it. There's nothing better than the peace of knowing you're following Jesus that he's got your six, that he's got, you know, he's got what's in front of you, to the side of you, everything. And it, following Jesus is the best thing you could ever do with your life. 100%. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and it's crazy cuz like, you know, we we all have talents we all have passions we all have things that we enjoy doing whether it's hobbies sports you name it whatever but the bottom line is that whatever whatever kind of passion we have right god gave that to us yeah but satan can also use it for his kingdom yeah right so we have to make sure we're on the right path and follow his will like you said and make sure that we're using our passions and talents for the lord yeah right absolutely absolutely so but yeah that's amazing um like, that is an awesome testimony, guys. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to share this to everybody you know. Let's get it out there. We're Teens on a Mission. This is Teen Talks, and we will see you guys next week.